Well, thanks so much to Anchor uh, for the continued support. And uh, as always, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by the guys at SolderWeld. So check them out at www.solderweld.com. And there's the makers of Hot Block and Round Rod and Alcop and Multisol and Alloy Sol and their cool new blanket. Uh, today's podcast is also sponsored by SEPCO, uh, their Trade Fox series of tools. Uh, SEPCO, they got great stuff out there, including the umbrella and the Porta Blaster and the Cool Presser. Uh, today's podcast is also sponsored by uh, cool Air Products. Uh, they're the makers of the Jet Gun Power Washer that you can find on True Tech Tools. And if you want to buy anything on True Tech Tools, you can at truetechtools.com and make sure that you use the promo code HVACGUY and you'll save 8% off the entire order. Now, today's podcast is going to be a great one. It's been recommended to me by several people and they really wanted to know his story. And I have uh, King Jam from Instagram. His name is Jamil. Is that right, Jamil? That's right, Jamil. Jamil. And so it's Jamil. And uh, he's on Instagram. He's King Jams. He's He lives down in Florida. And uh, he's got an awesome background. And he's got an awesome story. And he's going to bring that story to you today. So welcome, bud. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no problem. So you, how long have you been in the trade? What do, what's What's your story? Oh, man. Honestly, I've been in the trade pretty much my whole life. I'm uh, an industry baby. Um, my father was a licensed HVAC contractor. So basically, probably from middle school on, you know, school would get out for the summer. And my pop would, uh, you know, throw me in the passenger seat, throw me the Thomas guide, and we'd start looking up some addresses and go knock out some service calls. So been doing it since I was in middle school, and, you know, full time since I was about 20. 21, I think, is when I started full-time, and I'm 33 now, so had a good, uh, good 12 years, 13 years in this. But when you got into the trade and you started with your dad, I get the part about the middle school part, but you were also going to school. Did you go to a trade school at all? I did not, no. I mean, my pop kind of took me under his wing. He went to trade school, obviously, and um, he pretty much taught me everything I know in the field. And I just went straight into the field, um, which I think took longer to really learn the fundamentals than if I just went to a trade school. But I actually went to a university and got a bachelor's degree instead of going to trade school. So I ended up falling back into the trade. So when you went to school then, what is your bachelor's degree in? It's in uh, business management. Were you going to go into business at one time? Honestly, I'm, I don't know if I really ever thought that I would, but I got it just because, you know, it was pushed on me by my mother. She really wanted me to have something to fall back on, as she always said. So I just went and got it to make them happy, and, you know, the whole time I was dabbling in HVAC. Like, I used to go install a condenser or two and then, like, run to my night classes to try to knock those out. So it was kind of tricky, but um, I don't think I really ever wanted to do anything with the bachelor's degree. But when... You got the degree, mom and dad were probably super happy, or was mom happier than dad? Um, they were both pretty happy. I mean, it was, it was a, an accomplishment, nonetheless. Had but any- um, my mom just thought that, you know, blue-collar work was a little too, you know, labor-intensive, and she kept saying, hey, you know, if you work your brain muscle, you know, you can be sitting behind a desk and making a lot of money and just work a nice little, you know, suit-and-tie job. And I did it for a while, and it just wasn't my thing. But your dad did it. 
and your dad did it, and she had no problem. Right, but you know, Latin parents, I think this is something Ernesto could have told you, Latin parents always want you to be better. It's like something they really kind of talk about from a young age, you gotta be better. You know, you gotta do more, and be more educated, and you know, be smarter than us, and that's always kind of the philosophy, I think. Well, my mom and dad wanted that too, until they realized their son is an idiot and can't pass high school. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, every parent wants their, their kids to be better than they are. I mean, my son is better than I am in the trade and he's doing stuff. I don't even, I don't even know what it is, but you, you're doing that stuff. You're going to school. You're still dabbling in the trade. When you told your mom and dad, like, look, this, this bachelor stuff is not for me. What was the response? So my dad obviously wanted me to get into the trade, mostly because he told me that, you know, he, he wanted me to have the freedom of, of being a business owner, but he also said, you know, I would like to be able to trust you to kind of carry things on if something were to happen to me. And so I said, okay, well, that's kind of cryptic, but um, and I said, something actually did happen to him, but... Um, I had a very promising job offer in private banking and I was going to make good money at the time. I was young. I was like 22 years old. And I just, I sat my mom down and told her, honestly, like, I'm not happy in banking. Um, I want to go back to the trade. It's what I like. Like, I enjoy it. Don't ask me why, but I like coming home beat up and dirty. Like, it's just what I like to do. So she wasn't really happy about it. But at this point, seeing how far I've come with it, um, she's kind of embraced it. When... When the trade came about and you were really taught by your dad, this is going to be a loaded question. Dad's not listening. <laughs> do you feel like you missed anything being taught by a parent? Or sh or do you think you should have gone to trade school? Um, I think I should have gone to trade school. And I, I'm very vocal about this with guys on Instagram because a lot of them have messaged me and kind of like just asked me how, I, you know, how I got into it and stuff. And I told him, you know, my dad taught me a lot of really good fundamentals. Um, he taught me the, the business side of it, being a people person, which is obviously kind of important in residential and, um, and commercial. But um, there's a lot of good stuff, like a lot of real good technical um, aspects of the trade that I learned from YouTube and from watching other guys, you know, from listening to podcasts. And like my skills got much better in the last, four or five years mm -hmm. and they did in those first like eight. So you're, you're getting in the trade, right? Dad's happy. Mom's happy. You're making money. Do you find it difficult working with other techs who may have been school taught or do they look at you and go, wow, dude, you know, stuff that we were never taught. No, not really. I have pretty good luck um, just being at least on par with whoever I worked with. Um, the biggest issue is actually more of an age gap problem. That was kind of the, the thing that created the most tension between me and anybody I ever worked with. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk about it then. Because I'm an old guy, and I get the fact about the skill, not the skills gap, but the age gap, because a lot of older techs will downplay what younger techs know and kind of be dicks about it. Was that your experience? Right. 
It definitely was. Um, the problem was that, you know, a lot of these guys were literally like my dad's age. Like, he went to trade school with a couple of the guys that that he employed that I worked with. So, you know, they're, they're older guys, and they had a hard time kind of changing with the time. And in California, the trade changed a lot with Title 24 and, and all that stuff that kind of came about that now you have this new standard that you have to, you know, be able to abide by. And they didn't even know the rules, you know? But I did because my pop sent me to go figure it out. He sent me to get certified to be able to come back and say, okay, guys, you know, returns have to get bigger. You know, things have to get tighter. And I'm sitting there talking, and these guys are like, I don't, I don't really want to hear it from you, you know? They're still slapping a, you know, 16-inch return on a four-ton. And I'm like, you know, this isn't going to pass the Hurst testing. And they're kind of just, you know, ah, forget it, man, you know? So that was kind of an issue, for sure. Is that where you grew up in the trade, was in California? Yeah, about, yeah, literally, I've only been in Florida about three years. So, oh, where, where at in California? Um, Los Angeles County and Ventura County was where I worked. I lived in both counties. No, oh, where at in L.A. County? In L.A. County, I grew up in the Valley, San Fernando Valley. Oh, dude, and you were in, uh, you were in the porn capital of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Sino, yeah, Encino, uh, Northridge. I worked in all those areas. And I was born right across from the, uh, or real close to that uh, Budweiser factory in Van Nuys. Oh, so. in Van Nuys. Yeah, I know exactly where that's at. That used to be Bush Gardens back in the day. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of where a lot of my trade knowledge came from the valley, from Van, from Van Nuys and Northridge and mm-hmm. freaking Woodland Hills, where for some reason it was 10 degrees hotter all the time. And it was good. Honestly, I enjoyed it. Right. Did did you have to prove yourself over time for the respect to come, or did the respect ever come from the older techs, and you just told yourself, you know what, I don't need this shit? That's literally what happened. I mean, I, I kept fighting for my respect from, you know, the techs I was around, and even from the customers. Because the customers, I'd be the one explaining to them why you know, we couldn't just slap in a new system, you know, because we have to make sure your return's on par and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they were kind of like, how long have you been doing this? Like, it was always a question that kind of came up, you know, almost a condescending way. So I felt like I was constantly trying to prove my, my competency to the, the, the customers, to the other guys I worked with. And eventually I said, screw it. And I got the respect when I moved to Florida and kind of sharpened up my skills. Got, got a contractor's license and um, was really able to kind of like thrive out here in the trade. When you began to develop yourself as a as a technician and a strong technician, did the problem stop? Because I get a lot of questions, I'm sure, like you do. I get them, well, I get them differently. Like, how come... How come old guys in the trade can't be as open to as you are? And I'm like, well, because I work with a lot of younger guys and they've got a lot of knowledge to teach us older techs. And if the younger mm-hmm. techs can listen, we have a lot of knowledge that we can teach them. It's, it's a, a 50 50. Did it, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it just never worked out. And, and that's unfortunate. If, is there a small piece of advice that you could give to a younger, tech, man or woman, that's kind of going through the same thing to say, hey, it's okay, or it's not, or don't let them bully you, you know, what would you say to them? 
honestly, I, I give the, the advice very openly uh, when people ask me about it. And I tell them, just be the hardest working guy that you can be. You know, like the, the HVAC trade, the reason why I love it is because it, it's difficult. You know, if, I always say if I want to do something simple, I'd go run pipe or something. Like, it's, there's so many facets of HVAC that you'll never master. And, and I hate the term, I'm a master HVAC technician. I think it's BS. You can't master HVAC because even if you can, you know, on one tr- front or the other, there's too many things. So just try to be better all the time. Research when you have time. You know, watch YouTube videos, listen to podcasts, and, and just out-hustle the people that are going to be doubting you. And eventually, you'll at least gain the respect, you know? Mm-hmm. Even if they think, ah, this guy's just a crazy young guy, you won't be able to keep this pace for 30 years, whatever. Right now, I'm outworking you. And you will at least get the respect. But also, just like you said, the older guys, they have a lot to teach. I'm, I consider myself a very old-school young tech. You got to learn from, the, from guys that were old enough to be my dad my whole career. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned some good things, some bad things. You know, some things became outdated. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like, I wouldn't change the whole thing. I like the fact that I had to deal with the Thomas Guide, and, you know, I didn't really have a good Google access on my phone, so I had to just figure it out and, you know, it makes you appreciate how more efficient the trade is nowadays. And you can call a tech support and Google stuff. And, you know, we all get stuck here and there. And it's just so much easier now than it was back back then. And I've heard you talk about how it was back in, like, the 80s. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, how was miserable. No cell phone and just having to figure it out. But you can learn a lot from the old guys. you got to give respect for it to do. Well, it's like HVAC vlogger. Ernesto and I did this podcast, and he goes, if I didn't have GPS, I wouldn't have gotten in the trade. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I says, we did everything off of a Thomas guide and a map book and did the coordinates on a map book. But, you know, you're right about, about, you know, technology. I think older techs, because when I, when I got into the trade, my older techs had started in the 1950s. So, you know, they were, they were being trained as, as central air and, and residential systems and stuff were literally being invented. And then right. when I started in the mid eighties, um, you know, it, it was different because employers had free reign to tell your employee that you're a, a dumbass or you're an idiot or whatever. You can't do those things now, but right. which is, is good. I'm glad that as employers, you know, you're not allowed to belittle your employee. When, um, you know, as you've moved along now and you're kind of one of the, one of the older guys, even though you're still a young guy, you're an older, you're an older soul in the trade. Do you find yourself doing some of the things that the older techs have done to you? Do you do some things to the younger guys and then go, Oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. Not really. I mean, the guy that, um, that I work with a lot right now. He's a younger guy. I think he's like 25 or 26. And yeah, I'm, I'm what, um, seven years older than him. But to me, he feels like he's young. You know what I mean? And I try to be really like understanding with him and try to encourage him as much as I can because I don't want him to kind of lose his passion for the trade. The one thing that I'm kind of guilty of is I'm kind of guilty of kind of feeling like the younger generation just doesn't have to drive, you know? Which every old guy has said about us too, about my generation or the guys after me or maybe a little bit before me, like, 
oh, you know, they just don't work as hard as us, you know? And I'm not guilty of kind of like using that stereotype, but not with the guy that works with me. I mean, the kid hustles. So I really give him his respect for that. But um, that's the one thing I do do. I kind of think like, oh man, you know, the younger kids are soft. But I don't, you know, try to give them the disrespect that I got my whole career. Right. So as we're going forward now, let's jump a little bit. Um, well, let's talk about tools. Uh, what do you like for tools? What is what is your go-tos for screwdrivers? And, you know, are you a Milwaukee, a DeWalt person? You know, what do you like for tools? What is, what's in your daily arsenal? Honestly, I, I use a lot of the tools that my dad used. Um, he gave me a couple pairs of Kinepex pliers when I was younger. Like, I've literally had a couple of these pairs for like 10 years. And um, I still love them. He gave me a lot of Klein drivers. I still use a lot of Klein stuff. Um, my pop trained me on a fuel, uh, fuel piece meter, HS33. And it's still the same meter I use to this day because it's just, it's the only really meter that I learned on. So I like it. It does everything I needed to do. So um, I've definitely extended my arsenal of fuel piece. Um, a lot of Milwaukee, Klein, uh, Tinnipex. And that's pretty much it. Like that's basically all my go-to stuff. Are you uh, are you a big Milwaukee guy? Yeah, you know what? I, I converted. My top had me on Makita. I feel like when I was younger, every guy in California had that white Makita 18 volt set, and um, I just I don't know. I, I started to kind of drift towards the uh, 12 volt stuff because it was starting to become really efficient, really small, a lot of power packed into it, um, and then Milwaukee is. 12-volt stuff is probably the best 12-volt stuff there is. I mean, that N12 um, stubby impact is just insane. It's so slim. It's so easy to get in the panels and, you know, in tight spaces that it kind of, it really sold me on it. Like, I loved it. How are you? Are you a compound gauge tech or are you a digital or are you into probes? Um, I actually do, I carry the, uh, like, a compound stubby. I, I, like, I like to carry a a little stuff on me as possible. So I show up to every call with a stubby gauge on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can tell pretty quickly something's going on. You know, you hook up your stubby gauge, you know, like these pressures are just whacked. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have to go back to the van anyway, maybe get, you know, a jug of 410 or a leak detector or something. I'm going to get my, my digitals at that point. But I definitely always revert to the field piece uh, digital gauges. I just feel like for the money, you know, super heat subcool. Everything right there, easy, no math, no charts. It's you should have it. I tell a lot of people it'll make you a better tech. So, do you are you into probes yet? Um, I dabbled in the Testo probes, which I had a bad experience with. Like they broke in months after I got them. Like I probably had used them like thirty times, and one of them broke. And Testo told me that uh, it was like a new old stock situation. Like I bought them, they just been sitting on the shelf from somebody else that, that had them, but they were brand new, never been used before. So they said because it was old stock, they couldn't warranty it. And I said, you know what? That's garbage, you know? So I saw them sitting on my shelf, but um, I mean, I just didn't see the benefit for what I do over just the old compound stubby gauge, hmm. honestly. Uh, drills. Same thing, Milwaukee. That's just your, your choice. Because you're right about the Makita. When I started in the trade... It, we didn't have uh, cordless drills, and then 
I don't know, maybe a couple of years in, seems like maybe in the 80, 88, 89, maybe 88, those, those drills started showing up, the 9-volt with a freaking super long handle. But Makita was it. Oh, my God. That thing was freaking gigantic. But, you know, Makita was it. Like, everywhere you went, it was Makita because they were groundbreaking. Nobody was doing what Makita was doing. Absolutely. I still, believe it or not, one of those old techs that I told you I worked with my whole career, he still rocked. It wasn't the long-handle Makita, but it was the green old-school cordless drill with with an orange battery pack on the bottom. Mm. And I just told them, like, good Lord, man, like, we can get you um, a brand new set from Home Depot right now for 200 bucks. And he was just like, nah, you know, this is what I like. But yeah, I mean, the reliability was obviously insane. He used it for like 20 years. Right. more. Yeah. So, d- digitals, compound, digitals, a compound, meters, you like the HS, you don't do, you do anything with that or you do everything with that, that HS? I do everything with it. Um, I even use the, uh, you know, it's got that K-type connector in there. Right. And I'll throw a temperature clamp on it every once in a while or, um, you know, some of the different attachments I used to play with when I was younger. But now, usually I carry like a little temperature probe that I can plug into there. i just kind of leave that in a plenum or something if I need another one. Um, or if I happen to be doing superheat and subcool without my um, digits, then I'll use that as my temperature reading device. So I think it's very handy, but no, I mean, it does everything I need it to do. I right. don't see a reason of trying another one out. Cool. What about, um, you have any specialties on micron gauges? Because it seems like micron gauges are, are a big thing now. You know what? I, I still, somebody's probably going to get on my case for this, but I still use my um, my field piece manifold just for the micron gauge. Like, I don't pull the vacuum through it, but I do have it on that little straighter valve on the uh, core removal tool, and it does read the microns for me. So, so that's a good question. Because then you, on the vacuum pump, are you a hose? You go through the gauges then? Or do you pull the no. cores? Yeah, I pull the cores. I have the core mobile tools. I use the Appion uh, hoses. I think they're half-inch hoses. And they go directly into the vacuum. But that little straighter that, you know, that's on the side right there, a little accessory cord, I guess it is, on the remover cord, on the uh, removal tool, that's where I have my gauges, which... Just basically serving the purpose of a micron gate. Do you, um, are you, what time about was, well, I, I kind of got confused, but not really. Did you, what type of uh, vacuum gauge or vacuum pump do you use? Uh, I use the field piece one. So I got the field piece vac, um, I got a wireless scale. Oh, wow. The, the, the meter, obviously, the manifold. I actually go for the uh, micron gauge, but I just feel like, you know, it's 175 bucks for something that does one thing when the manifold already does it, and it's been working well for me. People say, oh, you create multiple new leak, um, potential leak situations with a manifold. And I'm like, well, I don't have a problem with that yet. Right. So, you know, I changed my field, and it seems to be working well. Is there anything that's in your van, truck, van, that is like a specialty that nobody else would carry? Um, or do you have specialty tools that like a certain brand of pulley puller or a certain brand of, 
you know, a hood or something like that? Something else that's in your van? Is there anything special? And, and do you have anything? Did your dad give you a lot of stuff? Or do you carry a lot of your dad's old tools out of respect for the for your dad? Yeah, my dad retired. Uh, he had to forcefully retire, um, which he wasn't happy about. And what he did, he gave me like, all his hand tools, and mm-hmm. they mean everything to me. Like, I'm a very sentimental person, so you know, I literally left a pair of his pliers like 35 minutes away on the job and gotten home at like 8 p.m. and be like, I'm going back. And I call the customer, and I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, leave it out on the porch. And I'll go back for it. I can go buy another set, but it's like, those were my dad's and they mean a lot to me. But um, I use a lot of the stuff that he gave me. A lot of it I bought as well, but um, I don't really have anything specialty. I mean, I have a lot of like specialty stuff for condensate drain cleaning because we do so much of it out here in Florida. It's like insane. Like 60% of all your calls are going to be condensate related. So I've made a lot of tools and little attachments for my, my vacuum. I've custom made a bunch of stuff just to make it easier and more efficient. But that's pretty much it. Everything else is very standard or very minimalist. I'm not one of those, uh, you know, buy up all the tools you can because it'll make you better. I don't really believe it. Um, I think carry a minimalist approach. I do on Carlos 945. Shout out. Um, you only need a few things to figure out what you're doing and keep your brain sharp, you know? So I don't really carry much at all. There's probably a lot of guys on Instagram that'll put my tool collection to shame. I think your dad doesn't, isn't uh, isn't your your dad and I like long lost brothers? I think we're long lost Maybe. brothers. I think your dad. <laughs> I think I need to get some of those those old tools from your dad. As 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 is he bald or does he have a full head of hair? Yeah, he's got a great head of hair. Oh, damn it! Damn it! We were so close. We were so <laughs> close. Um, well, that's cool. I've got some of my dad's tools. He he wasn't in the trade. He was a gardener, but he had some tools, and they. They sit in my garage, and I carry some of his stuff in my tool bag. Even if I don't use it, it's just out of respect. Yeah, no, I totally, I'm the same way. I always have a tool of my dad's on me at all times. Service call, install, whatever, and I treat it totally different than every other tool in my bag. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to beat up on one of the screwdrivers he gave me or something, you know? Like, it's just one of those weird things, you know? I give my pop a lot of respect for getting me in the trade we talk about it all the time I and mean, i called him back in california and we talked for you know an hour just about trade stuff and customers and weird service calls and it's still a connection you're in a spot that most people haven't been and that is unless you move a lot that is that you've worked on one coast and worked on the other you were working and living in california what made you decide to move to Florida? Um, you know, I actually was, I was running my dad's business in California because he had a stroke and he had to retire. So I kind of took over um, with the operations and stuff. It was a very small business, like no office staff, nothing. Just My dad kept it really, really minimal. Um, and I was, I was starting to burn out on the trade, honestly. And so I was, going, I was on vacation in Florida. And I met my now wife here on vacation, and things got serious, and um, eventually kind of became a question of, like, you know what, where should we live? And I really wanted to change, to be honest. Like, I was willing to kind of just, like, you know, drop everything and move and just start from scratch. I really wanted to be self-made. I, I, a lot of people think that's weird, but 
you know, my parents are wealthy. Like, my dad did really well in the trade. He invested a lot of his money. And, um, you know, I lived on one of their properties that they owned. And I just, I wanted to, like, cut away and do my own thing. Just earn my own way, start my own business, run it the way I want to. And that opportunity became reality when I met my wife out here. Cool. Awesome. Good story. Did Is there a difference between the two? Now, and, and I, I'm asking because I know that he, Florida is very humid. I, I, you know, obviously was in Orlando for AHR and I've been to a Florida a few times. But is there a difference in the way the trade operates besides humidity between the two states? The humidity for sure is a big one. It took me a while to realize that humidity is like number one priority out here over anything else. But then, the well, I mean, like. Difference- like, does the trade operate differently? Do techs do things differently? Did you go to Florida and somebody go, that's not how we do things? Um, I mean, like, ducting and installation is completely different, and that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, I can out here, you know, with all my sheet metal skills and building plenums and all kinds of stuff, and they're like, yeah, I did this ductboard out here. And I was like, what? Why? You know, like, it seems like a step back. But um, I had to learn duckboard from scratch, which I hate. And, um, you know, everything out here is duckboard, and, and that was a big one. Um, everything else is pretty much the same. The, the biggest thing was that people out here replace their equipment very, very frequently. And it's something that people in the West don't understand, because it took me a while to understand. If the pricing is completely different. Like, out here, if a customer is getting you know, three estimates for a five-ton system, they're probably all going to be under $6,000. And people in California are like, yeah, we're at like 16000 bro. And I'm like, well, that's just how it goes out here. You obviously have to adapt your business approach to the area that you're serving. Mm-hmm. So what the head gap is like ridiculous, ridiculous. Well, I know in L.A., when, when I lived in L.A., I live in Arizona now, but when I lived in L.A., structural is huge because of earthquakes. You don't have the earthquake problem there, but you have the hurricane problem. Was mm-hmm. was that difficult to learn, some of the new codes and the new rules, or did you sit there and look at it and go, oh, my God, this would never fly in, in L.A.? I mean, they probably love it in L.A. because in L.A. they were telling me, you know, take a piece of ducting strap and just anchor it to the, anchor the condenser on each corner. And then out here, they're like, no, you got to drive a two-inch tap on to the concrete and zip, you know, seven stainless steel 12-tappers on each corner. So it's, like, really overboard out here because um, they really want this unit to try to, like, resist hurricane force wind. So I think back in L.A., we'd be like, holy crap, it's overboard, but we we like it, you know? Um, then, wh- the thing, then why do guys talk sometimes, not all the time, will take shots at Florida the way they do air conditioning. Is it just a social media thing? Or is some, are there some truths to it? Oh, man. If somebody from Florida is listening to us, they're not going to be happy. But Uh-oh. <laughs> there's really a, a really laid-back kind of odd thing about Florida HVAC. And it's not just Florida HVAC. It's Florida tradespeople in general. Um, it's an odd business. I mean, people out here will use the term fly by night. 
a lot of businesses will, will just pop up and disappear. A lot of techs will pop up and disappear. The turnover rate amongst companies is just ridiculous. Like, they'll run through, you know, they'll turn over like 75% of all their guys. So there's like a, a just kind of like a weird way of operating out here that everything's kind of slack, you know? So things might be just not as, I, I would consider California HVAC just a little more refined based off of the level of professionalism that's expected from you, um, not only from your employers, but mostly from your customers. Because, you know, if they're going to spend $16,000 on a change-out, they're expecting a very high level of professionalism. And out here, there's guys changing out systems for... There's licensed contractors changing out a system for $700 above cost. It's, it's just a really weird gap. And with that comes kind of certain things. And people know that. Mm-hmm. People assume that if you're changing out a system for such a small margin, there's got to be some corners cut or some type of hackery. And I think that's where a lot of that, you know, oh, let me chip that for the HVAC kind of comes from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. At some point you decided to go into business for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you got your contractor's license in Florida. Obviously, running your family's business, you understood the business side, and that's probably where your degree began to help out, the business side of things. Has it, has it been difficult running and starting up your own business, or was it easy to do so? In my opinion, it's been easy just because I'm not, I'm not insanely busy. Um, kind of... This is going to sound kind of funny now that I've already said it, but there's some guys I know here in Florida are just running really good business. Um, I follow some of them on Instagram, and and I kind of look up to them for how professional they are and, and how well they give me a lot of advice. They have no problem. I call them on the phone, ask them questions, and, you know, these guys are doing it day in and day out. They have a lot of business. I'm not getting that slow yet. You know what I mean? Like, when you're busy, it becomes difficult to run something. You know, in California, things were really cool in February. And then just, boom, that July heat, I mean, that June heat wave kind of kicked in. And your phone was flooded, and that's when it became difficult to run a business. Especially when you were, you know, running it yourself and not having, you know, a couple ladies answer the phone for you. Like, I was on a rooftop answering the phone to myself every single time. You couldn't let it go to voicemail, and it became complicated. But right now, I'm doing you know, a lower flow of, of business, a smaller volume of business. So it's become very easy for me to kind of just take what I have and, and be able to kind of get out there and be customers. I get a lot of referred customers. You know, referred customers are normally very easy going and kind of really cool, you know, because they already have that, that rapport from somebody else that they trust. So, so far it's been good. I'm sure it's going to get crazy down the road, but, um, yeah, so far I've been loving it. I'm just glad to go back to doing my own thing because I have been working for somebody else since I moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. Did you, not to say did you, did you, um, did you have any failures in starting your business? Were there things that you did that you're like, oh my God, I should have never done that. Like I didn't, I wouldn't have, done, dad wouldn't have done that in LA and I turned around and did it in Florida. Like, did you buy anything? Did you go beyond your means? Did you take out loans on a brand new 
massive boat to cruise around the Keys in? Like, did you do anything crazy debt-wise? You've been talking to somebody I know. I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, not really. I mean, I, I learned a lot of my lessons in California. Like, I made some bad business decisions when I took my dad's business over, and some jobs didn't go well, and, you know, I, I learned a lot of the hard lessons back then. But my father, he made money in the trade because he had a business that was doing a lot of business, but he remained as small as possible. Like, he ran the business exclusively to himself. He answered his own phone. He dispatched the guys. He used to uh, go run a few calls himself. Not a lot, but just enough to show faith because it's important. And so he always made a pretty nice profit margin. And so I took that same mentality to here because I had such a good blueprint for my dad. And it's helped me avoid a lot of problems with the overspending and living beyond my means. My father always saved a lot of money. My father and my mother are just like financial wizards. And so one of the most important things that I tell a lot of guys in the trade that I know, save your money, dude. Save your money so you can get out because you're not going to be doing this at 70, you know? And... So I, I just had so many good people, you know, putting their influence in on me that I haven't yet made those big mistakes. But, um, hey, man, I've been trying to spend a little money. <laughs> Who hasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. Is there something that you, as a young man, mm -hmm. could tell another young man or woman in the trade that's thinking about going into business? What advice would you give them? Going into business for themselves? Yes. Um, I, I encourage a lot of people to do it because I just feel like, you know, the contractors nowadays, every time I walk into a supply house, I just look around and see a lot of, you know, guys my dad's age. Like, they're not going to be here forever, and somebody needs to step up to kind of, you know, be there to accept the torch when it gets passed on. And none of us are doing it. There's such a small number of 30-year-old contractors. I only know a handful of them. And coincidentally, those are the guys that I know here in Florida that are killing it, um, that I respect a lot. I tell everybody, do it, but obviously earn your stripes to get there. And I think that's like everything. You tell me, oh, I want to get into trade school. I want to get into HVAC. It, that conversation always comes up first out of my mouth. Earn your stripes. The first five years of trade are garbage. Like, you're going to be in the attics, you're going to be doing all this grunt work, and it's not fun. But then you get to that point where you start running five service calls a day for yourself, or seven, or 12, I don't know, some people are working like crazy, and it's fun. You know, you start to kind of, like, get on your own two feet. And when it comes to going into business for yourself, it's the same thing. you got to earn your stripes. You have to do your homework. You have to make the connections. You have to go into you know, restaurants and places and introduce yourself and hand out your business cards and you have to have the money available because getting licensed costs thousands of dollars. Um, it, it literally probably cost me about 3500 bucks to get a number, get a licensed number from the state and, you know, study uh, guides and books and fees that I had to pay and all kinds of stuff. And then once you get that, you have to be ready for business cards and and advertising and, you know, a vehicle. And so you really have to be financially savvy more than anything. You know, you cannot go into business and just think it's going to go great because, you know, people love your handsome face and, you know, I'm a super tech. No, man. I mean, 
you, the financial savviness of it is so, it's probably the most important part. If you, if you don't have it, your business will tank. And most of them do. Well, I'm surprised because that's not you. I mean, you are, you know, I could see the people liking you. You know, you got that, you got that look, you're handsome, you got it going on. You're, you're taking video of yourself up, up on top of high rises over the top of the, the water. Dude, you're like an HVAC model. Yeah, I try, man. I try to let the hair down every once in a while while I have it. Look at you. Yeah, exactly. I can't do that. I let mine out and it fell and ran away and never came back. Um, we're already at 40 minutes. I told you it goes by fast. It does. What is the direction for you? Like, I don't see you running a small one-band business the entire time. Do you want to build the business bigger? Um, are there, you know, if somebody was looking to go to Florida and said, oh, my God, I want to work for King, is it something that you're interested in? Like, what's the direction for you? Honestly, I really want to keep my shop small. Um, it's, it's also because that we were talking about that Florida eats back price point. It's so terrible. You know, you really don't have this huge margin to work with, and it can get out of control very quickly. And some of those guys that I know in the trade out here have given me that advice. Like, you know, you have to really, really be on your finances, which is basically what I just said before, because you don't have this huge margin. So... The more guys you have and the more office staff you have and the more vehicles you have that you want that fleet that all matches and, and you really look like a cool boss guy, the crappier your margin is. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And then now you're reliant on volume business. You have to sell a lot of systems. You have to sell a lot of freaking UV lights. And I just don't want to go that way. I mean, my father kept it small. He only ever had not like five employees running the whole business through him. He invested his money in real estate, stock market, some things, and he was able to retire with wealth. And that's exactly what I want to do. Um, I don't want to let my shop get out of control. Um, I, I want to save as much as possible. I want to keep my profit margin nice. And I want to be able to have enough money to invest. Because luckily, I've already had enough money to start investing young in order to finally leave the trade one day. Because this is a very labor-intensive business, and you can't do it forever. And I don't want to do it behind a desk. If I can't do it in the field, in front of my customers, side-by-side with some of the people that I work with, I don't want to do it. You know, so when I get to that age where, you know, I'm a big big guy too, you know, my back starts to fail me and my knees, which are already starting to go, I want to be out, and I want to be comfortable. And that's the goal. If I ask this question every time, sometimes I get good answers, sometimes bad. We have a skills gap. We have a massive skills gap, and it's coming in the next five years where okay. people like me will retire in their 60s, and then there's going to be a generation of techs in their 20s and early 30s. There's going to be a loss. Like You're going to wait for service calls. Like I believe that soon... Service calls two or three days days deep will be the norm because more service calls will come than a company has for employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you do to entice people into the trade? What do we need to do to fill the skills gap? What would you do? 
Um, this is something I really want to do when I get further along in the trade and have more to show for it. Um, I think we need to go in on these career days or whatever you can with local high schools or, you know, I, I don't know, something like that and just talk to kids and tell them, look, man, beyond college and, you know, maybe become an NBA player if you get lucky or a freaking YouTuber that makes $10 million a year, you can make a really solid living in this trade and you can cater it to your liking. Um, and, and not necessarily only this trade, but any trade, but um, this trade to me was, it's very flexible in all the different ways that you can kind of get in and choose your path. I mean, I talk to guys that work on stuff that I never work on and it's almost like we don't even work in the same trade. And that's kind of cool, in my opinion. So I would tell those people, you know, you can really build a very comfortable life in this trade and make a lot of money and become a very well-rounded, handy tradesman. And, you know, why not? Why not do it? You know, we need you. If you are ready to rise up to the challenge in it, you're pretty much guaranteed work. I, I moved from coast to coast with zero um, fear of finding work. And I, made, I found work right away. I mean, right away I had my email flooded with job offers. I interviewed like eight companies and I picked and choose who I want to go with. Right. Um, that can happen anywhere in the country, probably anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, like you said, more, there's going to be a higher demand. So why not put yourself in a position to be there to fill that demand and make good money? I'm assuming the pay rate is going to be higher as the demand rises. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, get into something that a lot of people do think is cool. A lot of people on my Instagram are not trade people. And they tell me, hey, man, what you do is cool. It's different. I don't even know what the heck I'm looking at sometimes, but you kind of have this, like, really fun-looking, kind of adventurous-looking job. And I'm telling you, yeah, I feel blessed to, to do it, to see different job sites, different buildings, um, different scenarios all the time, which keeps me hooked. So if we had to find you on social media, where would we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at king underscore jams, J-A-M-S. And I also started a uh, page for my HVAC business that I just started. It's called Tactical, kind of a play on the word tactical, which is kind of something I try to go for. And I also have that page on Instagram and on Facebook. It's uh, T-A-C-T-I-C-O-O-L-F-L, like Florida, Tactical F-L. Okay. Uh, you can find me on either one of those pages. Awesome. Well, I think we're, we're at 46, 47 minutes. Is there okay. anything in closing that you would want to tell the listeners? Like it's open mic night. Mm -hmm. Without being, you know, political or anything like that. Like advice and direction and... Or, or, or let me ask you, is there a motto that you live by? Like, Carlos has got, you know, slow feet don't eat. And, and Ernesto has a whole nother one about, you know, people don't like a man who stands around. Um, you know, for me. Yeah, I remember that. I like that, that yeah. thing that you said. Yeah, it, it totally. Channels, what do you got? I don't really, I don't really have anything like that, but, um, I just would like to say that, um, I think the trade in general could use a little more positivity. You know, amongst all trades, you know, I, I have 
a lot of admiration for any blue-collar guy making it. Plumbers and electricians and freaking landscapers. I don't care who you are, you know. It's, it's, Instagram has brought us together in a way where, you know, we all follow a lot of tradesmen and I'm able to kind of see what they do and it's, it's been a beautiful thing. It's been something that made me fall in love with the trade again, honestly. And you were one of the first people that I followed on Instagram. I was like, holy crap, there's a, there's cool exact pages on Instagram. And it just took off. I started following a ton and then I wanted to become one of these guys. But yeah, I just don't ever, I, I, I like to tell people, like, especially the guys that are starting out, don't ever stop learning because that's what it's all about, man. Become better. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to trip up. You're going to, you know, make a, you blow a very expensive motor one day or something. And it is what it is. This will make makes you better. And just every day try to improve a little bit better. Try to be a little bit better with your coworkers, with your customers. And good things come, you know. The good things will find you. I feel like the better energy you put out into the universe, you'll get it right back. And you'll really start to thrive in whatever line of age that you're in, whatever city. And it's going to make you love what you do. And waking up, loving what you do every day is the best. It does not get any better than that. Well, that's awesome, man. We're gonna we're gonna call it. Uh, we're gonna leave off on a high. That's that's an awesome. I love that. As always, I want to thank everybody who listens. I want to thank my sponsors, Supco, Solder Weld, Cool Air Products. I want to thank Field Peace, who've been very supportive over the years. Refrigeration Technologies, Chuck at Midwest Snips, uh, the guys over at Parker Sporlin. Uh, True Tech Tools, of course, have been very complimentary, very kind. Asco Torches is another group of guys that have, have been phenomenal with me. And, you know, it just there's great people out there. And Vito, Roger over Vito, uh, Vito Tool Bags, another great guy. Uh, if you if you need to get a hold of me, you can do so through HVACReferGuy at gmail.com. And also, please let everybody know about this podcast because 100% of the revenue that we make off of it goes to the American Cancer Society. Um, there is nobody I know that isn't affected or have somebody that's affected by cancer. I just learned um, a few days ago that a very close friend up in Idaho Falls has got bone cancer. He just started chemotherapy yesterday and, um, man, I just, I pray for him every day because, uh, cancer just, when I say this, I don't swear much, but I'm definitely one of those. This is fuck cancer because, uh, that's what this podcast is about, is about helping people and uh, helping those with cancer and getting money to the American Cancer Society. So again, work safe, be safe, be great humans, hug the ones you love, reach out to the ones that need some support, and again, just be really great humans. Until next time, we'll talk soon.